Muppeturgy, and we're throwing a jamboree to discuss the Raquel Welch episode of The Muppet Show. Yay! Welcome back, everyone. We're so glad you're here. I'm David Levy. Here today with me are... Adam Grossworth. Christy Bauer. And Michal Richardson. I have a feeling that we have perhaps misunderstood the question. First up, an apology. In the Leo Sayer episode, I referred to a possibly apocryphal Boy George quote, insulting Prince, and applied it to Leo Sayer. A listener wrote in and pointed out that the original insult can have racist connotations. This certainly wasn't my intent, and to be honest, didn't even cross my mind at the time, but once it was pointed out to me, duh. So I sincerely apologize for making the reference, and to anyone who was upset by it, and our reaction to it. I do not apologize to Leo Sayer. In the Loretta Lynn episode, we were so excited by the very charming handmade Muppet Show sign that Kermit pops out of during the opening credit sequence that we failed to notice that our old friend George the Gender was one of the Muppets holding that sign. And it was just so delightful to see that he is still gainfully employed. So I felt the need to share it here. I made that gif. I didn't notice it until you tweeted about it today. So <laughs> good, good eye, David. Good job, everybody. Shout out to Cleveland. Yes. Maybe the train station's in Cleveland. Why did, did we just solve the mystery of Whoa. where the train station is? Can you get there from Altoona? Here is a Muppet News flash. We are here this week to talk about Season 3, Episode 11 of The Muppet Show. It was produced the week of April 25th, 1978, and it aired in New York on November 27th, 1978, the Monday after Thanksgiving. Uh, it was number 11 in the air order after Chris Christopherson and Rita Coolidge and before Leo Sayer. So we're in familiar territory. In the news, I have missed the New York Times archives so much, you guys. We had one uh, issue in this run of episodes, but it was weirdly light. Like there was, there just wasn't that much interesting in it except the Charlie Brown Christmas ad. Uh, but this week's is packed, so forgive me if I have gone overboard. Uh, Unfortunately, it is a pretty rough news week, but we do this to situate you in time. So let's just get through it. On this day in 1978, George Moscone and Harvey Milk were assassinated in San Francisco. This will actually be on tomorrow's front page of the Times, but it happened today. On the actual New York Times front page, there was a huge fire at a Holiday Inn in Rochester, New York, which as a person who travels on a budget, that's like my actual nightmare. Let's move on. There's a lot more Jonestown news. There are multiple articles throughout the paper um, about that tragedy, uh, a different kind of tragedy. There's a lot of news about federal welfare cuts. And uh, just to quote the headline, sweeping right to life goals set as movement gains new power. <sighs> On a lighter note, a glimpse into my brain, the headline Rafshun resists the label of image maker. I misread as Rafshun resists label maker and was like, who would resist a label maker? The most wonderful invention on the planet. <laughs> you can't. <laughs> you can't resist it. No, no. Why would you? Um, and in it, at this time, we had in my house one of the kinds of like with like the, the tape that you like you squeeze the dymo. Yeah, I have one right, right now. Right. I oh my God, from where I'm sitting. You turn the <laughs> dial and you squeezed the thing um and it like embossed the tape i'll find something to put in the show notes um so satisfying so good uh the modern ones make better labels but as a kid loved playing with that thing great news i looked it up you can in fact take a train well you have to transfer a couple times but you can take a train from cleveland to altoona and one of the places you transfer pittsburgh <laughs> So it's not Cleveland, though, because if the point was that you needed to transfer at Altoona to get to Pittsburgh. Get to, yeah. 
Yeah, you can still change trains, but it may be because I'm looking at the the overnight. I, uh, if I if I change the times, perhaps uh, I'll, I'll keep you posted. Thank you. Some good news in the Times. Uh, there's a story about Vietnamese refugees arriving in Canada, perhaps by train via Altoona. Our ads this week, uh, Christmas is ramping up. There's a an ad for uh, Abraham and Strauss, the department store, which would later be known as ANS, and then later go bankrupt and close. With TVs and a food processor, which I just found to be a really weird combo. That, those are two separate items, though. It's not a food processor with a TV in Correct. it. Correct. They're two separate items, okay. but all that's in the ad are like three TVs and one food processor and nothing else. And the food processor looks exactly the same as the food processor that is in my apartment right now, which is like 10 years old. So I enjoyed the changing and the unchanging technology. Uh, there's an ad for Macy's Rugged Western Wear. And I understand that the New York Times is read nationally, but it just seemed like a weird fit for the New York City Macy's to be advertising. But it's also 1978. So, you know. Yeah, we're in in like urban cowboy era. Yeah, exactly. And a lot of the men's fashion ads like just look super gay anyway, like very unintentionally. So, you know, that's the vibe. And there's a lot of really good tech ads and a wild cigarette ad, and we will have all of those on the show page at MuppetTurgy.com, so check those out. On the Cashbox Pop Charts, the number one song is You Don't Bring Me Flowers, which is credited simply to Barbara and Neil. Your next door neighbors. Yeah. <laughs> I know they were both superstars, but it's still so weird. And on television, following The Muppet Show on CBS, we have the premiere of a new show that is actually pretty famous. It's uh, the first episode of The White Shadow. Uh, In case you don't know it, a white former NBA professional retires from the pro game and gets a job as a basketball coach in a predominantly black inner city high school, which I don't know, from 2022 sounds a little bit yikes. I've never seen it, but it is pretty famous. Uh, It was created by Bruce Paltrow, who is uh, best known for also creating Saint Elsewhere, as well as being the husband of Blythe Danner and the father of Gwyneth. Tonight's Little House is called Blind Journey. I did not watch it. Aww. On ABC, I know. On ABC, there's a show called Lucan, which has been in our timeline before. I just missed it. It had 12 episodes. A boy raised by wolves is found at the age of 10. He is named Lucan and sent to a scientific institution to become civilized. All grown up, Lucan leaves to find his family, but not all are convinced that he won't revert to his wild ways. I didn't watch that either, but we'll have some art from it in the, the show notes, which is amazing. I'm intrigued. I, know, I just want to know how it intrigued. ends. I don't want to watch it. I want somebody to sum it up for me. I mean, it definitely looks like the most 1978 thing that ever 1978 did. So, <laughs> you know, I'm curious. After all of that was the uh, NBC movie, And I Alone Survived, the true story of Lauren Elder's <laughs> fight for survival following her plane's crash into a mountainside. Don't you feel bad for laughing now? Uh, I do a little bit, but what a, what a funny title. It, it is a funny title. Uh, Blair Brown starred as the titular I Alone. thank you not proud i am a little bit Uh, and uh at 10 30 on channel 11 was something called focus on new jersey with the description teen drinking slash teen driving which just made me laugh so those are separate segments the teen drinking and teen driving i don't know if then teen drinking slash teen driving i don't know it's the Muppet Show with our very special guest star, Raquel Welch! Woo! Yeah! 
<laughs> Calm down, Kermit. My God. I'm glad someone's excited about this episode. <laughs> Keep it in your pants. <laughs> he doesn't have any pants. Well. Raquel Welch. Actress. Sex symbol. End of list. Wow. <laughs> she can sing and dance. Singer, okay. dancer. Allegedly. She was born in Chicago in 1940 as Joe Raquel Tejada and grew up in San Diego, where she trained as a ballerina and won a number of local beauty pageants. She attended San Diego State College to study theater and married her first husband, James Welch, while she was still an undergrad. She became a mom, a local weather forecaster, and before too long, a divorcee. Uh, That's a role she'd play three more times before swearing off marriage entirely. She briefly left California, but ended up back in L.A. to pursue a film career. She began to appear in small roles on film and TV in 1964, landing her first breakthrough role in 1966's Fantastic Voyage. She followed this with the film One Million Years B.C., in which she didn't speak much, but wore a fur bikini. The image of her in that outfit caused a sensation and sold a gazillion posters. You can see one of them hanging in the Muppet Show backstage in this episode. Uh, And that solidified her image as an international sex symbol. You might also remember that poster from the film version of The Shawshank Redemption, replacing the book's Rita Hayworth poster. Throughout the next decade, she starred in a number of films, including Bedazzled, Myra Breckenridge, The Last of Sheila, and The Three Musketeers. She headlined television specials, and she appeared as a guest star on Saturday Night Live, on Mork and Mitty, and of course on The Muppet Show. She also launched a successful club act in Las Vegas in 1973, featuring the puppets of Sid and Marty Croft. That was later adapted into a television special, Really Raquel, which I watched on YouTube this week, and it is something. We'll have that for you in the show notes. Subsequent to her appearance on The Muppet Show, she made her Broadway debut as a replacement for Lauren Bacall in the musical Woman of the Year. Throughout the 80s and 90s, she continued to act on film, TV, and stage, including memorable cameos in The Naked Gun 33 and a Third and Legally Blonde, an appearance on Seinfeld, and a stint in the Broadway adaptation of Victor Victoria following Muppet Show guests Julie Andrews and Liza Minnelli into the role. She also got into the health and beauty business, launching a fitness book and a series of videos in 1984, eventually adding jewelry and skincare lines, and most famously, her wig collection known as Hair You Wear. As opposed to <laughs> I mean, hair that you leave. Truth in advertising. Hair, hair you eat. Well, that's not hair you grow, it's hair you wear. Hair you send down the drain. Uh, In 2010, she published her memoir, Raquel, Beyond the Cleavage. She continued to work into her late 70s. She's 81 now and still around, although she hasn't really been seen much during the pandemic. Uh, Who's got Raquel Welch feelings? Fozzie does? Sure does. That's not all he has. I mean, like so many of the folks we've talked about on this podcast, like she's just, she was there. Like she's a reference that I understood without necessarily having seen any of these things i mean she's been in a ton of movies most of them terrible so even the ones that i've seen she doesn't necessarily stick out in them uh so yeah like she's she's one of those people like you know who she is because you know who she is but she never made much of an impression on me granted i am a homosexual right me too She comes up a lot as a punchline on the Carol Burnett show, like particularly during the audience Q and a section at the beginning. A lot of it's like, when are you going to have Raquel Welch on the show? And then Carol Burnett makes some sort of like self-deprecating joke about how frumpy she thinks she is by comparison. So that's almost my entire adult (laughs) point of reference for her is uh, she was 
Carol Burnett's jokey nemesis. Uh, I love this episode, except for the one thing about it that I absolutely fucking hate. (laughs) Christy. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to save it. I'm going to wait till we get there. Great. Uh, Yeah. No, this is a fun one. It's funny. The like, quote unquote, sexiness of Raquel Welch is more that she seems very comfortable in her own skin. And that translates really well to goofiness. And so it, I, I think it makes her a pretty good fit for the Muppet show. You know, I, I deeply appreciate that, and, you know, that she's way more down to clown than say, you know, Loretta Lynn. But at the same time, I think this is maybe the most of its time episode we've seen in a really long time. And we'll, we will definitely get into it, but you know, for as much as I can't imagine it being made in the same way today, I still really enjoyed it david wow did not like this episode <laughs> uh i mean i don't hate this episode but i just there there was very little that i hooked into in it part of it is that i don't really like the songs and there are a whole bunch of them like i think there's what are there four of them and i uh, can't really say i cared for any of them really so uh which i know i just made many of you angry but no. it, it just, uh, yeah, didn't care for that. Don't really love the Fozzie plot. Don't really love the Raquel plot. So uh, not a lot for me in this episode. Michal? I have complicated feelings about this episode. Similarly to the Marisa Berenson episode a couple weeks ago, we have this incredibly charming guest star who has a really great rapport with the Muppets. And it's a really solid episode. It explores new sides of the characters. And then how you receive all that, or at least how I receive all that, depends on the day, like which side of the bed I wake up on and how the gender politics are hitting me on a given day. And that's not to say anything against Raquel Welch. Like she's in on the joke. She's down to clown. She's having a great time. And there's plenty of fun to be had in the episode. And also where the whole plot is the the Muppets are horny for Raquel Welch. Like I know that Muppets and their interest in guest stars is not a new thing. Muppets saying the word sex is not a new thing, but they just say it a lot this episode. It just doesn't feel quite right. Yeah. A lot. A lot. Yeah. It's squicky. It's, 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 it's the aforementioned part. I hate. (laughs) (laughs) Is it just the, their use of the word sex? No, it's not the, it's not the, I don't know that I even clocked them using it. Like Raquel uses it. it. It, but it's the, it makes you think about Fozzie's penis. It, it, yeah, it crosses, and it's not just Fozzie. We'll, we'll get into it in a second, but it it, it crosses a line for me. Yeah. Um, like I, Kermit flirting with a guest is one thing. This this crosses a line into into gross. And honestly, I and wouldn't it crosses it in like the first thirty seconds of the episode. Right. And I wouldn't like it if they were human. Like if she were if she were the guest on SNL and the men of SNL were doing this, I wouldn't like that either. So yeah, and then you add in the fact that they're Muppets, and it just like it just there's so many layers to how fucked up it is, and I just don't like it. Oh, Raquel Welch, thirty seconds of curtain, Miss Welch. The quality of mercy is not strained; it droppeth as a gentle rain upon the players beneath. Oh, changing your image, huh? Yes, well, I was toying with the idea. Well, you do what you want, Miss Welch. On this show, you don't have to dress up in any of those scanty, revealing costumes. Oh, thank you, Scooter. Well, not unless you really want to. Well. Oh, please! 
Yeah, that's the sound of a bunch of Muppets sticking their head through the dressing room door and begging Raquel Welch to not want to change her image. So that's the tenor of this episode. Yep. (laughs) (sighs) It's not even that they don't want her to change her image. It's like they don't want her to not wear skimpy clothes. Like it's really that specific that gets it kind of. Right. And they're like coming into her dressing room to tell her that. Yeah. And I, I was trying to picture this happening, you know, if this same episode were made today. And if like, if you set aside the plot, but just somebody was dancing around in the costumes that she wears, I would say, good job. She looks fabulous and she's having a great time. And there's something about the mood in 1978 versus the mood now that is hard for me to stomach. Well, part of it is the way that her her job title is given a sex symbol. And like they come back to that several times throughout the episode. You know, like I can imagine doing this today. And like, let's even flip it, like with someone like Harry Styles. But like, we don't think of Harry Styles' job as being sex symbol. We think of him as being singer. And that's maybe why it would be more okay. I don't know. Yeah, I tried to do that thought experiment of like, who is the equivalent person now? And like, the closest thing I could come up with is somebody like Cardi B. But that's more because of the raunchiness of her songs. Not really the... Yeah, she's known for her image along with her art. Yeah. It's a tricky business. It is. Also, is it is it weird that I find her like erudite, you know, professor costume here like the sexiest of all? Of Not the at books all. <laughs> she looks amazing. It's, yeah, <laughs> she I, looks great. She's got these like glasses and like a blazer with a pop collar and a scarf, and she just looks like really powerful and ugh, yeah, it's like a librarian professor look for a reason. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's working. I do like also that like Scooter, the character who we have at least decided is coded as gay and who is, you know, played by a a, a gay actor, uh, is the one who's like, no, it's fine. You can do whatever you want. And then everybody else is like, no, you can't. <laughs> I did like that little that little wink that I have decided well, is canon. And then later on, he tells Fozzie, she kissed me right here. And Fozzie's like, yeah, you told me four times. Like, you're protesting too much. Yep. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> too real. <laughs> Elsewhere in the intro, Beauregard, whom we have not been formally introduced to yet, but there he is, and he's looking right down the barrel of the camera very eagerly, and pulls on a rope, a sandbag lands on his head, that's the joke, Uh, and Gonzo's trumpet emits little shimmery flowers, it's very sweet. Beauregard is- It's like they made Goldie Hawn, (laughs) Pope. The Beauregard, when when Barger gets hit on the head with the sandbag, I didn't notice this till I was making the the gif. Uh, but like, he's really expressive in a way that I've never actually noticed before. Like, like when 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 that sandbag hits him, his face squishes in a very realistic looking way that I appreciated. <laughs> Dave Gold's good at his job, yeah. But also the 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 actual the the puppet itself uh, mm. has a physicality to it that that they don't all have. Nice. Well, I look forward to actually meeting Beauregard in exactly. some future episode. Yeah, Muppet Show backstage. This week backstage, Fozzie is on what Kermit refers to as an assertive kick. Mostly, that just means that he's 
as obnoxious as he ever is. Um, he's just trying to be a little more dominating because that's what he learned in group therapy. And also he's then apologizing profusely every time he does it. No, I am about to meet my true self. Uh, of course you are. Yes. Uh, well, I, I, I hope you'll be very happy together. Thank you. Uh, I'll just go cancel your act for tonight. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry about that. Uh, don't worry, we've all got our problems here. Yep, that show sure is. See, see, my problem was my need to tell jokes. Yeah, that was our problem too. So Kermit announces that Fozzie will not be doing his monologue. Due to the indisposition of Fozzie Bear, there will be no comic monologue on this show. Scooter, they, they want me. They like me. They need me. And so, on with hey the yeah, Hey, yeah, hey, yeah, hey, uh, hey, yeah. Fozzie, what are you doing here? My monologue. <laughs> but, but you were supposed to meet your true self. I just met him. What's he like? He's shallow, insecure, and needs to buy friends with laughter. Uh, also, when Fozzie first enters, it's because Kermit has asked, where's Fozzie? He's supposed to be on stage. He's supposed to be on stage right now. And he's just arriving at the theater. Every, Kermit is very calm about all of this. There, so that was Floyd's voice in the first clip. And it, weirdly, instead of Scooter or Gonzo hanging out with Kermit the entire episode, it's Floyd, which is a dyna- dynamic I sort of love. I love it, too. That was probably my favorite thing about this. And episode. I feel like Floyd yeah. is chilling him out. <laughs> it's working. <laughs> he got Chemically. Yeah, maybe. he got some of whatever Floyd's having. Yeah, whatever it takes. Yeah. I also think that unlike when other folks are late, Kermit knows that it helps the show when Fozzie's not on stage, so he can be a little more chill about it. <laughs> Y'all, I'm genuinely happy that Fozzie's in therapy, but I've got a lot of questions about it. I mean, what kind of therapy do you really think this is? Well, they say it's group. Yeah, but like, what kind of group is it? He's It's an encounter group, and he's sitting around with a hand mirror looking at the puppeteer hole. David. (laughs) (laughs) Now he's met his true self. I mean, it's about to get worse, so we might as well. We might as well leave all of that in. Uh, I, yeah, it's there. He does this very cute thing um, right before that first clip where I'm, Kermit tells him to go on and he 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 takes his finger and he draws a line on the desk, which really feels like like someone told him, like, you have to make boundaries, you have to draw a line. And he took it very literally and actually draws a line. But other than that, I'm very confused by his therapy. Yeah, and and also there's a part of me that just thinks about like I don't know, boomers and their historical aversion to slash disdain of therapy. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm just like, don't make a joke out of it. It's fucking great. You need it. Therapy is good. This is not what you learn in therapy. Therapy is a good thing. But also like, this is 1978. This is like, like, wasn't this also sort of peak, at least like neurotic New Yorker therapy of like Stephen Sondheim, Woody Allen. I mean, that sort of had been going on for, a decade. Ago. Yeah, right. Like everyone's in it. Everyone's in analysis. 
Yeah, well, that's that's different from I'm going to my analyst. Fozzie is doing something else here. Yes. I mean, listen, I found an article in the New York Times from 1974 titled Encounter Movement, A Fad Last Decade Finds New Shape. So I always get the sense that like group therapy was having like a moment in the 70s, and this seems to be backing that up. I found another article talking from the 70s about how there was like a, a group therapy party game fad going on. So like oh, no. there was something going on in the air. Next episode, the ice storm. All right. Another thread running through this episode. Raquel Welch is sexy. Did you know? <laughs> that's, that's our motif here. And that she's trying to change her image. They kind of call back to that a couple of times. I mean, Okay, David did not include singing and dancing among her talents, but she's a, she's a talented performer, and here she's just known for everybody wanting a piece of her, and also she's very into Fozzie. Well, and Fozzie's very into her. Fozzie, uh, yes, Fozzie responds in kind, I think. He's very nervous about the whole thing. Right, so, so this is during her number that we'll get to in a bit. Oh, Raquel, you are terrific. On the contrary, Fozzie, you're the one that's terrific. Me? Uh-huh. You know, just being here kind of close to you, I've noticed that you're really very charming. Charming? Mm-hmm. And even witty. And even witty. In fact, I think you're very sexy. Say again. I think you're sexational. <laughs> <laughs> Is that like a catchphrase of hers? No, I think it's just a joke <laughs> that like she's not going to call him sexy again. <laughs> but there's no way to actually just there's no way to turn sexy into, into sensational without making it weird. <laughs> there, there is just they made it weird anyway. <laughs> yeah, so it's like it's like the classic you know guest star cheers up the uh, a Muppet you know in the dressing room or backstage number that we've seen before but like it really goes places yeah and then she sings another verse and then there's some more oh Raquel oh I feel so confident now you've made a complete bear out of me oh yes yes Um, Fozzie yes uh, sweetheart do you you think there's yes baby say it even the slightest possibility that Yes. You might want to go to my dressing room and have a cup of tea. <laughs> you and me. Could I bring a friend? Like, he definitely came, right? Wait, like, while they were singing or after? I believe so, yes. That's why he didn't want to go to her dressing room? He was, he was done. I don't know how to respond to that. I think this is performance anxiety. I don't think he's over. I think he's just not prepared. Fair. Romance and sexuality, I just don't think is in Fozzie's wheelhouse, usually. I'm honestly surprised that he responded to this at all. It doesn't feel like a thing Fozzie would do. Yeah. I don't, like, the way he calls her sweetheart, I got such, like, weird Stan Bornak vibes from it. I mean, is this, like... Did he go to therapy to learn weird toxic masculinity? Is that what's happening? I mean, kind of, right? Because he's like actually more confident and assertive and that there's a fine line. 
Yeah. Oh, I definitely during this episode thought that there is like a like a PhD dissertation to be written about Fozzie and uh, masculinity. At least one. I mean, I would welcome a whole journal. <laughs> Listeners, we know some of you have probably written this already. Send them in. By the way, Raquel's still trying to change her image. I think she's not. I think that ship has sailed. <laughs> I think it has. I just, I have feelings about a a female guest who wants to cheer up the male Muppet by like making him feel desired. Like that's a different kind of consolation than Bernadette Peters singing just one person. Right, right. Like she feels less Muppety. Yeah. She takes his head in her hands and rubs it against her cleavage. From multiple directions. It is not subtle. (laughs) So with all this attention going to Raquel Welch, Piggy, this is a, a busy episode for Frank Oz. Good at his job, as we've noted. Miss Piggy deals with this the only way she knows how. Tonight we have an internationally acclaimed actress, singer, dancer, and one of the sexiest ladies alive. You got that every night, frog. Mm-hmm. So it took me a second. She said you get that every night, and I realized that she refers to her her career on stage. But, oh, but I but I'm the gross one. <laughs> hey, man. Piggy's <laughs> <laughs> need to compete. We'll give us a lovely finale later. But first... Raquel, Raquel, Raquel. The burdens of being an international sex goddess. Yes, well, I suppose. It must be nearly as tough for you. (laughs) You know, sometimes I really feel like renouncing the whole thing, the whole image. Yes, me too. It gets to be kind of a bore, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. Although there's still a lot of joy left in being a woman, don't you agree? Mm Mm-hmm. And I plan to gather up all I can while it lasts. Oh, Raquel! Yeah, Piggy's bit kind of redeems this episode for me. Yeah, I mean, this I love this scene and and the number it leads into. And, like, I'm, I mean, this is where, like, it's, I mean, this and the opening where she's reading the Shakespeare, I think, makes it really clear that Raquel is fully in on the joke. Like, had had some agency in what this episode is. And and is is happy to play along, and so that redeems it for me. And I, I'm glad that they didn't make the plot like Piggy versus the men, right? Like she's a little annoyed with Kermit at the beginning, but you know it would have been so easy for it to be Piggy being annoyed at all of this going on around her, and it's really not that. Yeah. But I also really felt the lack of female characters this week because it's only Piggy. Like, there's no Janice. There's no Annie Sue. Is Louise Gold even in the episode at all? Um, Muppet Wiki lists her as doing background characters. Yeah, I mean, I think she's in the credits, because she's a series regular. Um, But I don't think she speaks. Like, it's just very noticeable that there is one woman-identified Muppet in this episode. Yeah. You're right that it would have been easy to make this Piggy versus the men. It also would have been easy to make it Piggy versus Raquel, which they do a tiny bit, but only for the the beginning of this exchange, and then they do a number together. Yeah. So, it's a weird episode, but it could have been weirder. Yeah. Or differently weird. (laughs) 
so a wacky thing happens in this episode where two of the four songs that we get are from the same album, but it's not like a Raquel Welch album. It's a Diana Ross album. So let's hear a bit of the first of the two songs. You got the shake and I got the shimmy. You got the take and I got the gimme. And I don't want to go, but baby, you send me. You want it all and I want to give it. You are the dream and I want to live it. And I don't want to go, but baby, you send me. Maybe it's me, I'm the same as you. A dreamer who dreams, it's a dream come true. And all my life, I just wanted to meet someone just like you. Someone just like you. Baby, it's me. I mean, not like it me. Um, <laughs> that's that's uh, the name of the song, and yeah, it's from an album uh, of the same name by Diana Ross from 1977. So a, a very new album at this point, and you know, it, it it makes me wonder if there was a an A Burroughs situation here, where somebody lost a bet, or you know, some sort of last minute change necessitated. We have to do two Diana Ross songs. Or it, they could have just really enjoyed that album. Or maybe Raquel really enjoyed that album. Who knows? Yeah, this particular song uh, was written by Donald Dunn and Charles C. Smith. Um, I couldn't find anything about Charles C. Smith on the interwebs. But Donald Dunn, or Donald Duck Dunn, as he was known, <laughs> was a, primarily a session musician. He, he was a... a bass player and uh, a member of uh, Booker T and the MGs. So he actually uh, was inducted into the rock and roll hall of fame as a part of that group. And uh, he recorded a lot with Stax records. So he played with Elvis. He played with Bill Withers. He played with a lot of famous people and uh, was ranked number 40 on bass player magazines list of the 100 greatest bass players of all time. Nifty. Which makes sense. The song is funky as hell. It's so funky that it is it is it disco? Is it like anti disco? What's happening? It's like somewhere in between. I so I listened to the original, which is not a thing I, I often do, but like that whenever they do something recent like this and I don't know it, like this has happened a few times. It happened with with um, the gay pride Langolier, and it happened with a nice girl like you. That I was like, what is this? And why don't I know it? And it happened with this. And I just I want to play a little bit because the. The Muppet arrangement is is quite faithful to the original, but the original is just a little bit more complex and more funky. And I have been more listening funky. to it nonstop all week. Yeah, they'll give it a listen. <laughs> I'm obsessed with it. Wow. <laughs> that is Funkadelic. And there's another voice, like very quickly, uh, uh, another voice joins her. And it's it's just like, a, there's just a little bit more going on that they couldn't do on the Muppet Show. And it's, it's so good. It's more funk than you can shake a stick at. We should talk about the staging for the song. Although I don't have a lot of nice things to say about this episode, this is a very memorable Muppet Show segment for me. 
the minute the curtain opened on this, it was like, oh, it's this one. So we see sort of a, I want to say prehistoric cave jungle situation in front of us. Raquel emerges from this cave wearing what I think of as like the Bob Mackie version of her 10,000 years BC outfit, which instead of being fur is just spangles. Uh, And then a Muppet spider descends from above and she does this sort of dance battle with it. And the spider is a full body costume, but it's also, it's puppeteered by Graham Fletcher, the dancer. And it's really, uh, to say it's a full body costume doesn't really do it justice because he's really like on all fours, we think. Uh, although I have to say, I spent the whole second time I watched this just staring at the spider trying to figure out where his arms and legs were because it also has eyes that move. And I was trying to figure out how he might be operating that, possibly with like a popsicle stick stuck into his mouth that he's moving around. I don't know. Oh, interesting. Because I had that question too. That might be the answer. Seems yeah, dangerous because he's also flying. Yeah, there's just there's a lot going on, and it's really for something that that really is on the border of what I think of as puppetry versus just costume dance. Uh, it's a really sort of spectacular number from that perspective. Yeah, so the the spider has eight legs, and basically there's there's two puppet legs attached to his arms, and two puppet legs attached to his legs, and then you know he's on all fours, so when he moves. The, the puppet legs move with his real arms, but it, it's a really wild illusion. It's very cool and very unsettling. Yeah. And then he's also flying and, and like, I, I was like weirdly obsessed with the flying rig, which as far as I could tell is just a single point. It's just one wire and you can see the wire and whatever, who cares? And the illusion I thought worked best when he's in the air, because you really sort of can't tell like where with what's an arm, what's a leg, what's real, what's, what's puppet. And there's also some really cool shots. Like there's an overhead camera shot at one point, which you sort of never see on the Muppet Show. Like they clearly were having a lot of fun with this. So when you think about it, it's pretty surprising. It took me 59 episodes to bring up Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark. There it is. But we're talking about spiders and legs. (laughs) And um, so uh, just very briefly, if you you don't know, uh, the Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark was a famously troubled Broadway musical. And one of its famous troubles was very early on, there was a number called Deeply Furious, um, which was like one of the first things cut before the myriad other troubles happened, in which the uh, spider goddess Arachne, don't ask, commanded her minions to do stuff. Don't ask. Uh, and um, the minions were, were the women of the ensemble in these like leg rig costumes. And the, the, the bit there was that they were they were not meant to look like spiders. They were meant to look like human women with eight human legs. <laughs> Can't imagine why this got cut from the show. <laughs> so they're in these sort of like classic chorus girl, you know, outfits in, in high heels and stockings with these like wearing these things around their waist with these legs. And the way that they, but you know, it's Julie Taymor. It's, it's, it's costume meets puppet. It's sort of very similar to this and a very different vibe. And sometimes they're sort of like, doing a kick line and very clearly using their hands to, to fling the puppet legs up in the air. But sometimes they would kind of shift their weight and like lift a leg up in the air and like put some weight on the, on the puppet legs. And you really kind of can't tell and like lose track of like what's a real leg and what's a puppet leg. And it, it, it becomes very confusing. And I kept thinking of that during this number. And I was like, 
was Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark weirdly descendant from Fletcher Spider? <laughs> sort of. Because <laughs> it's kind of like the same general illusion 40 years later. Yeah, and Fletcher I, Spider just needs like fabulous pumps. Yeah, kind of. And I love that. And I also, yeah. like David said, was obsessed with the eyes because I don't think they were doing radio control yet. And I have no idea how he was controlling it because the eyes do move and blink. That's real cool. It is. And it is Julie Taymor-esque. Yeah. Much so what cuter, you're saying is but... what, what Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark needed was a funkier baseline. I mean, yeah. Actually, for a score <laughs> written by two members of U2, <laughs> it's definitely a thing that was weirdly missing, but we don't need to go down that road. Ooh, perfect. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I thought she was going to change her image. Well, well, she might be changing her image, but you wouldn't want her to change the rest of that. Yikes. On a completely different note, <laughs> uh, we we get a glimpse into Gonzo's mind. A terrifying glimpse it is. Know our bad times if all you see are walls. If you get your news from the scuffs on your shoes, then that won't help at all. Cause you gotta see penguins throwing popcorn. Chickens on a well-dressed moose. Hi, girls. And you gotta see rats floating by on pink balloons and fuzzy things on the loose. Jamboree! 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 Find where you hide and look inside and you've got a jamboree! 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 We enjoy uh, some jamboree here. Uh, It's the second of the two previously mentioned Frank Oz written songs for the show. This one also written with Larry Grossman. And... It's delightful. It reminds me slightly of a Paul Williams song. Mm. Like it's it's it sounds like some of the up tempo numbers in Bugsy Malone. <laughs> I think that's just the seventies. I think that's what up tempo numbers sounded like throughout the seventies. Yeah, it's also a little folky. Yeah, funky and folky. Well, I mean, I think what it is is it's white people gospel. <laughs> sure. Interestingly, I think it sounds much peppier listening to it now without the visuals the the way this is set up is so depressing to me that i didn't even realize that the song was peppy like this yeah yeah how would we describe the space it's like a it's like gonzo's sad bachelor pad where he hasn't picked up a piece of trash or put away a piece of clothing in three months and then he hallucinates a bunch of friends yeah and then they fade away again I'm so perplexed by the lighting that I don't know that I even noticed the space. Tell us about the lighting. Like, it's all this weird sort of like side light and up light and everyone is in terrible shadow, but there's not like a puppetry reason for it, right? Like they're not doing it to to hide anything or or make it effect. It's just ugly. It's not part of the like fade away effect that we get at the end. I don't think so. I'd have to look again, but I I think it's just bad. (laughs) I think it's just to emphasize what a sad, depressing loser Gonzo is, which made me sad. Yeah. <laughs> I had this song on one of those Muppet albums. I, I don't have any memory of the visual. I know I've seen this episode at some point, but 
just having heard the audio and he opens it the same way with, Oh yeah, I get lonely. I get sad. And then you just got to look in the puddles and see a rainbow and like life is meaningless. So I guess I'll just go eat a rubber tire. That, that really spoke to me as a child. (laughs) (laughs) I'd like to think I have found a slightly more sophisticated flavor of it as an adult. You got better tires. Yeah. (laughs) Better tires dance with better cheeses. Yeah. It is still rather sad. Yeah, yeah. It's okay. Just just imagine friends. Everything will be fine. Yeah. Yeah, and not just friends, but like the weirdest friends you could possibly imagine. Well, that's that I mean that I like. The ending is very labyrinth. When they all they all fade away because yeah. they were just imaginary and then they come back. <laughs> yeah. We'll be there when you need us. Right. That's nice at least. There's a deliberate defiant silliness to it. I think that's part of what speaks to me also. I love the penguin. The penguin made me very happy. <laughs> I, mean, I just love yeah. that puppet, but something it's about penguin. Something about his entrance was just joyful. The rats on the balloons are the MVPs for me. Is this the first time that the rats have, have looked have looked correct? <laughs> like with the right eyes. I mean it's still not entirely fully formed the rats that we've become used to, but it's much, much closer. Yeah. Because they're still naked? Well, not just because they're still naked. Like, the, the face sculpt is not exactly there. The eyes are a little bulgier than they eventually become. Well, they're also not really being puppeteered. Like, they're they're just hanging from springs right. in this. They're but, floating by on balloons. Yeah. So. I've seen wars started over less than that. Wrong. There's nothing less than that. So the second Diana Ross song is a moment that we've already discussed at length. Uh, this is the Raquel cheers up Fozzie in a sexy way number. <laughs> Fight on me, rely on me, and I will try to satisfy your every need through the day. I did not want to hear that moaning. And I did not seek out the original version of this. Yeah, no, this this was plenty. This is a song called uh, Confide in Me, also from that Diana Ross album, Baby It's Me. And it was written by... uh, co-written, I should say, by uh, future Muppet Show guest star Melissa Manchester with someone named Stanley Schwartz. And I tried to learn about Stanley Schwartz and Google was like, did you mean Stephen Schwartz? I was like, no, I didn't. There was nothing to be learned, sadly. But yeah, man, I'm going to be thinking about Raquel Welch calling Fozzie sexational for a really long time. (laughs) I'm going to be waking up with this in my head. This has been stuck in my head for the last couple of days and I don't know what to do about it. It's just so... Sticky. It's so moist that moist. it has just stuck to the inside of my brain cavity. It's the moistest thing. Certainly made Fozzie moist. <laughs> we gotta move on. <laughs> yeah, very cute. Very cute. Uh, sick but cute. Sick but cute. Uh, you guys are talking about me, huh? It's beautiful. Also beautiful, our closing number, which is Raquel and Piggy. Rob and scrub this house and it's shining just like a dime. Feed the baby, grease the car, and powder my face all at the same time. 
dressed up, go out and swing till 4 a.m. and then lay down at five, jump up at six and start all over again. Cause I'm a woman. I'm a woman. It's a song about invisible labor. And how? Written by two men. I know. Uh, <laughs> that upset me so much. I'm not yeah. surprised. But still. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so this is I'm a Woman, uh, written by Jerry Lieber and Mike Stoller. It, it, it was first recorded in 1962 by Christine Cottrell, but it was made a hit by Peggy Lee in that same year. Her version went to number 54 on the Hot 100, number 75 on Cashbox. See, I'm paying more attention to Cashbox nowadays. Mm. It's harder to crack the Cashbox, I've, I've discovered. Yeah. I'm only using it because I'm lazy and don't want to check another source, but maybe I should I should go back to I should go to Billboard. You'd improve your hurdle yeah. skills, probably, if <laughs> you just listen to more Cashbox hits. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and Peggy Lee actually released versions of it on three separate albums over the years. And Labor and Stoller, very, very famous. I think we've talked about them before. They wrote a bunch of mega hits, uh, mid-century mega hits. A lot of Elvis's catalog, Hound Dog, Jailhouse Rock. They wrote on Broadway, Stand By Me. And the Broadway show, Smokey Joe's Cafe, uh, is a review of their songs. And Mike Stoller's still alive. He is still with us. And here's a a, a very uh, Muppet adjacent fun fact. There was a jug band version uh, featuring a vocal by Maria Moldauer that charted even higher in 1975. Hmm. So I'm a little surprised. On what chart? (laughs) (laughs) On the Hot 100. Really? Yeah. Made it past the bubbling under. What the hell was going on in 1975? (laughs) It bubbled over. So many things. <laughs> many chemicals. <laughs> An appreciation for jug bands, clearly. I guess. Oh, she's the Midnight at the Oasis lady. Yeah. I see. I have. I love this, but I do have a lot of questions. Uh-huh. I think it's very stylish. I don't, I, this is also just, of all the Libra and Solar songs, one that I just would put towards the bottom of the list. I don't... Uh, I, I, I just don't think it's a very good song, even though it is a classic, a standard, or whatever. But I love, I love their outfits, and that sort of makes up for everything else. That's one of my questions: is I find it weird that Raquel's jacket and pants don't match. Like, doesn't they it seem like she's supposed room. to? They didn't. It's only the jacket. The jacket has tails. I Aren't went back and looked. Pants. Oh, okay. Nope. It looks. It, it's wearing gray pants. It's it's a white jacket and gray pants. And it seems like it should be a tuxedo where those two things are the same. No, color. but this is like a pretty typical dancer kind of okay. outfit because you wanna you wanna emphasize the legs and if everything is all That's white then the legs sort of blend into That's it. That's true. But yeah, what she's holding on the hanger is just the jacket, and because it has such long tails, okay. it looks like there are pants there. I had the same thought and I went back and looked again because I thought it was weird. <laughs> yeah, I thought maybe they just like didn't have Piggy's pants ready in time, so they had her wear other pants or something, but all right. Yeah. Well, or Piggy doesn't have pants, and so they forgot that Raquel needed pants <laughs> and just pulled something. They made it especially for her. Yeah. She's a full-body human. Yeah. Oh, no, we forgot. The human needs pants. <laughs> Awkward. Uh, also, there's, like, not much set to this set, but what there is are, like, flanking the stage, these, like, two giant, like, dorm room lamps. 
that are so yeah. ugly and weird. And then we never see them again because the whole rest of the numbers in close up. But that was weird. I was just paying attention to Raquel Welch and Miss Piggy having fantastic rapport and enthusiasm. Well, it's before Piggy enters. the hell out of this. It's the opening shot before Piggy enters, so. Yeah, but yeah. I didn't notice till you pointed out that there were lamps. Okay, well, there's a gif on the, in the show notes Great. <laughs> of the lamps turning on, so. Also, I love that Piggy doesn't question the thing about lard, <laughs> but that she has questions about a food sack dress. <laughs> I mean, I have questions about the lard and the food sack dress. But that is actually something about the song that I noticed that it's, it feels older than it is, right? Like all of these things have like, uh, uh, like a Loretta well, Lynn. Southern and rural, right? Yeah, like a rural, mm-hmm. yeah. like 30s, 40s quality to them. Like depression. Depression era. era, yeah, exactly. Like maybe a little later with the car, but yeah, like, and not a 50s, 60s feel to them, which I think is actually probably pretty deliberate. It reminds me of the, the drippings can thing. I... Uh, I once, uh, a few years ago, asked my grandma, my grandma makes amazing corn, like just like incredible corn. And I was like, why, why does my grandma's corn not taste like anyone else's corn? And I, I asked her and she's like, oh, so I don't do anything special to it. You know, I just cook it in a little bit of bacon fat. I'm like, bacon fat? Here I've, you know, my whole life. I'm like, oh, I'm eating vegetables. Very healthy. It tastes <laughs> so good. Why does it taste so good? I'm like, oh, it's got a lot of fat in it. <laughs> I've just been putting butter on it like a chump. Never mind that jazz. Listen, turkey. What? And get out of show business? Let's get down to show business. At the dance this week, Fozzie's attempting to do a monologue. And because he had a change of heart, he discovered that the audience liked him or disliked him so much that they cheered his absence. But he goes on at the dance is already on stage and the at the dancers are yoinking all of his punchlines. Hey, do you do all the cooking in the monastery? Well, hey, hey, I was going to do that one. No, I I only cook the potatoes. You only cook the potatoes. I'm doing this one. Oh, you only cook the potatoes. What do they call you? The fryer. No, the chipmunk. So that, that's at the end of the sketch. I think Fozzie has crashed into something off stage, off screen, and is dragging something around with him. In my mind, it's a chandelier from the ceiling. I don't know if that makes sense. But he's having a hard time. And there are these two fryers with their arms around each other. They seem very comfortable together. My favorite thing about this particular at the dance is that the Afghan hound is dancing in the background with chopped liver. So good. It's great. Although even in at the dance, no lady Muppets. Afghan hound is a lady Muppet. Is she? Yeah. Okay. She was in the lady chorus line at the beginning of the Loretta Lynn episode. Great. Oh, well, I take go. it back. Uh, let's talk about the Swedish chef. Uh, the Swedish chef is attempting to put the chicky in Drabaski. He's, he's chasing a chicken around. He bounces it like a basketball. He shoots, he scores, he announces he's earned two points, but I call foul. Mm. Yeah, sorry. It would be nice if more sports involved just chasing foul around. When I was in Little League, you could describe most of my games as chasing fouls. <laughs> yeah, that was my experience in right field. Do you want to talk about the chicken's butt, David? 
Oh, no. Oh, fuck. I forgot about that. No, I think we can just let that be an image in the show notes. I made a, I made a slow motion GIF for you, so. I don't, what? I already have once in this episode referred to their you puppet have. bowl. You have. Then, when the chicken falls through the hoop and lands in the basket, I guess, that it lands in, uh. it lands cloaca up, so you can see uh, the hole where the puppeteer puts his hand. Mm-hmm. I also actually appreciate, there's like several puppets in this episode that are not Strictly speaking, being puppeteered, there's the rats in Jamboree, uh, and there's this chicken when it's, you know, falling through a basket. And its face is so expressive that you would kind of never know that no one is actually operating it in any way. It's great. Yeah, Muppets are great. Yeah. So, oddly enough, the UK spot this week is also a talk spot. Kermit is kind of interviewing Marvin Suggs, or kind of just there to talk while Marvin Suggs poses a lot. But Kermit is attempting to pose some hard-hitting journalistic questions to Marvin Suggs. Marvin, the question that most people ask... Oh, the answer is mutual love and respect. The Muppophones, they adore me! (laughs) Shut up! Marvin, are these these the original Muppophones? Oh, no! I have to replace them every two or three months. They go flat. Uh, you mean they get off key? No, flat. Ow! <laughs> like little pancakes. <laughs> little pancakes. Uh, this is not a relationship of mutual love and respect. It gets pretty dark. Kermit attempts to ask the Muppophones whether it hurts when they get hit. And they ask whether Marvin is still there, and he's hovering over them with a mallet. Yeah, it almost seems like they've gone blind. <laughs> Maybe I was making it too dark, but I don't like it. Yeah, do they die, or do they just outlive their usefulness? After he replaces them? Well, before he replaces them, but yes. He certainly implies that they die. Strongly implies. Yeah, he says you don't want to know. They're serving a basket over chips. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, just very fuzzy Muppophone in the basket. Have you ever thought there must be life after death? Every time I leave this theater. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for listening to this episode of Muppeturgy. We're going to take a little break, so make sure you're subscribed wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss our return with the James Coco episode of The Muppet Show. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Muppeturgy or on the web at Muppeturgy.com. Our theme music was composed and performed by Christy Bauer. Our show logo was created by Todd Brian Backus. And this episode was edited by me, David Levy. Sort of like the like the Bob Mackie version of her 10,000 million years BC, whatever the... <laughs> 10 million? 10,000. It's not... It's 10,000 years BC, right? I don't know. People uh, haven't been around that long. <laughs> yes, it was a very historically accurate movie, Michael. <laughs>